Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I am here virtually with my co-host, Karen Henson. These earbuds are hurting my ears. Mm. Today, we actually have the privilege of talking with Dr. Steve Porter, who is a professor of philosophy and theology out at Biola University, and he's super smart when it comes to discipleship. So we're going to be talking about discipleship in the time of coronavirus. It's going to be epic. You guys enjoy this episode. I am really excited today because you guys get to hear from somebody who has played a really influential role in my life. A lot of you guys know if you listen to this podcast that I recently graduated from Biola University after a really long road there, <laughs> longer than it probably should have been. But uh, my faculty advisor, who walked me through all of uh, the coursework, and then he oversaw my research for my dissertation and has just become uh, a friend of mine as we participate in one another's discipleship to Jesus, Dr. Steve Porter. He's a professor of philosophy and theology out at Biola University and has written a number of books on a wide variety of subjects. But today we're going to talk about really a conversation that's been an ongoing one for us, and that is what does discipleship to Jesus look like during this shelter-in-place coronavirus that we're all experiencing right now? So, First of all, Steve, thank you for coming on with us and chatting about this. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Good to be here and always good to be uh, involved with anything you're involved with. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy to do this. Yeah. And to meet Karen. And yeah, I'm that's right. Yeah, yeah. This is the first conversation. So exciting. I'm surprised you still teach at Biola after having Nathan as a student. So God bless you, sir. <laughs> We thank you for your service to the kingdom, even with yeah. difficult people like Dr. Wagner. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, yeah. it was it was it was easier when he was paying me tuition. <laughs> challenging. No doubt. The motivation has kind yeah. of seeped away. Wait, yeah. have I stopped paying tuition? I don't. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Good question. So a few weeks ago, Steve, one of the great things I love about Steve is one, not only is he a really critical thinker just about God and discipleship to Jesus in general, but I think he's always appropriately like introspective and takes advantage of opportunities like this to just be open and vulnerable and honest about his own discipleship to Jesus during this time. So a few weeks ago, he released a a blog on Biola's website and it started to circulate around. And then he's done some uh, video equipping with some churches that are out on the West Coast. And Steve, one of the things that I thought was really interesting as uh, I read your stuff and watched this video is how you just make mention of a really obvious point, even though a lot of times it's not as obvious to us. And that is that even though all of the church, well, the vast majority of church programs have shut down, that doesn't mean that discipleship to Jesus has shut down. So talk to us a little bit about what that is, that concept that you shared through these resources, and how we should think about discipleship to Jesus when the church doors are closed. Yeah, good, Nathan. Thanks. Um, in one of those blog posts I wrote, 
kind of a little bit, I don't think I was mindful of it actually, but I wrote Jesus's school of discipleship is always in session. And, and actually one of, one of our other colleagues uh, kind of mentioned that line and he said, Oh, that's a great line. And I thought, why is that a great line? And then I realized, Oh yeah, all these schools are shutting down. And, um, and Jesus's school of discipleship is always in session. He'll, he'll never cancel classes and they're always in-person classes. They're not online because Jesus is discipling us. And I think that's the biblical point when Jesus says in the in the Great Commission, you know, go into all the world and, and make disciples, make students, make learners of himself. Yeah, it wasn't that Matthew and, and Peter were supposed to make disciples or students of themselves. Jesus says that he's he's the final rabbi. He's the he's the last teacher. Um, and so they're supposed to make disciples, uh, students, learners, uh, apprentices of Jesus. And, and then he says, and lo, I am with you always, uh, even to the end of the age, that that he's not going to leave them as orphans, as uh, John puts it in his gospel, that he's going to send his spirit, the spirit of Christ, who will be with them always. So this idea that discipleship doesn't really happen with other human persons. It happens in a divine human encounter with God through Christ by the spirit. And of course, God through Christ by the Spirit uses other people and uses scripture and uses uh, various means of grace, you know, sometimes we call them or spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. But those those are the means. What we're really cultivating is this learning relationship with Jesus. The other passage I think of is when Jesus says in Matthew 11, you know, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke or my my way of life upon you and learn from me. This idea that the Jesus way is a learning way and we're learning from Jesus. And and so in that sense, it seemed to me, oh, this is uh, coronavirus being stuck at home. Uh, perhaps for some people, it, it means not having as much to do. In fact, I think for most people in one way or another, it means not having as much to do. Well, there's more opportunity, more space to cultivate, to turn to the person of Jesus. And Lord, what are you doing? What are you wanting to do in this time and space? And how much how much of my life is actually my attempt to hide from you? And mm-hmm. so all the things I'm involved with and all of that. So that, that was the basic idea that kind of got me thinking about discipleship in the time of coronavirus. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're out on the West Coast, but in the right smack dab in the middle of the buckle of the Bible Belt, um, a lot of times, and I don't think it's necessarily confined to just the Bible Belt, but a lot of times people just assume, or maybe they've been taught or they've just been formed in by just observing in their context that discipleship is something that you start maybe after your conversion when you really want to get serious about following Jesus, or it's something that you can graduate from. I mean, like you can go through a program and get a certificate of discipleship to Jesus. Like it, yeah. like you can stop <laughs> at some point, you know? Yeah. Talk to that f- for a minute. I mean, one, why do you think that is? And then two, you've started to reorient us toward a, what seems to be really obvious in the scriptures when I think you understand this concept correctly, but a lot of times it's not as obvious for people. Yeah, the word disciple, you know, it's the Greek word mathetos, and it's really been utilized in lots of good ways, I think, throughout, you know, the recent church history, but 
but also with some subtle distortions as we often do. So, so yeah, sometimes I think discipleship can immediately mean for folks, it's the training you get right after you become a Christian. It's kind of, you know, Christianity 101. Here's how to read your Bible. Here's how to pray. Here's how to share your faith. Um, yeah, you've been discipled. Now go and do likewise, right? Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And usually that turns pretty quickly into some sort of get saved, get some minimal training under your belt. And it may just be training on how to get other people saved. And then, and then you go make disciples, you know, too. And we just miss this whole idea of a lifelong sanctification process to use a different term, this lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ. The other place we see it in the great commission is yeah, go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them. And then Jesus says, and teach them, teach them, you know, teach them to yeah. do all that I've commanded. And this is quite different than Moses coming down from, you know, from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and saying, here's, you know, tell them what God has told you to do. So teach them how to obey or teach them to do all that I've commanded. So disciples are supposed to be students of Jesus who teach other students of Jesus how to do everything he commanded, how to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, how to love our neighbor as ourself. We could spend the rest of our lives, you know, teaching one another how to do those two things, those two commands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes we treat it as this initial stage, or uh, as you also mentioned, I think another way discipleship language has been used is to think of it as some second stage in the Christian life, that you get saved, you're a Christian, but now do you want to be a disciple? And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like the 12, you know, because the 12, the 12 original disciples, it looks like they got some special treatment, right? Yeah. They weren't just the hoi polloi believers. They were the special ones. Yeah. And, Except for Judas. And that didn't <laughs> yeah. work out very well. That, well, <laughs> yeah. No, he got, he no, got trained, no but the training didn't stick, yeah. it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so they they were apostles. They did have a special role in Jesus's mission and certainly the mission of the church. But in the book of Acts, you know, the hoi polloi, the general average Christians called a disciple. It wasn't some Mm -hmm. special class. Uh, Two thousand disciples were added, you know, to their number that day. Mm -hmm. So um, so these people were students. They were all students enrolled. So, yeah, I think we need to move outside of those paradigms that turn discipleship into some, you know, beginning stage of the Christian life or some advanced stage of the Christian life and just realize that discipleship is one of the ways, not the only ways, but one of the ways Scripture talks about the entirety of one's life with Christ between conversion and glorification, that we are in a discipleship process, like we're in a spiritual formation or sanctification or, you know, spiritual growth process, whatever you want to call it, we're, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And that is our discipleship. Yeah. One way that I like to talk about it around here is to say that, hey, you're not in a program or even in necessarily a season of discipleship. Discipleship is the journey of the entire Christian life. Yeah. And so sometimes I think reorienting people around maybe like journey imagery to say like each journey has a start, it has an end, but there are various seasons throughout that journey, but Jesus is with us on this journey, Mm -hmm. teaching us, instructing us, encouraging us, developing us, growing us by his spirit. Um, So I love the way you emphasize that it's not just ongoing all the time, but it's inherently personal, like he is, like Jesus is 
with us. We are disciples of Jesus, not of a certain methodology or a certain person or a certain idea, but of, like you said, the divine human encounter between uh, God and us through Jesus by his spirit. I think for a lot of people, that's probably a paradigm shift, because especially in the West and in our culture, we are so often just wanting to check the box. Oh, I've been discipled. I Somebody sat with me across the table and taught me the Bible for six years and now check, I've moved on with my life. And so to reframe it as, hey, this is a lifelong journey, I think sometimes can be overwhelming for people like, oh, you mean I have to do this for the entirety of my life. But the reality is, is like, Jesus is with you. And that is a gift and a good thing versus something to be overwhelmed by. Yeah, I know. I think that's right, Karen. And I think I think you bring up another one of the the typical ways that discipleship language has been used, which is this idea that I sit down with another person, another human person, and they disciple me. And again, while I certainly think it's important that we sit down with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I actually hesitate a little bit. And again, this is a this can be a paradigm shift too, to use the word disciple as what we're doing, because I, I don't want to confuse people. When, when I sit down with a brother and sister in Christ, we are coming alongside each other as brothers and sisters to encourage one another, exhort one another, teach one another, confess our sins to one another. But we're coming alongside one another as disciples of Jesus. He's discipling us. And so I want to ask you, if I sit down with you, you know, how is Jesus what has Jesus been teaching you? How has he been active in your life? And you can ask me that same question and we can go back and forth, but it's clear that we're students of Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And the most we can do for each other is kind of point one another back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, again, I don't want to make it all about this, you know, immaterial relationship with Jesus that we can't see my, you know, my co-pilot, my buddy or whatever, because that, that can also become problematic yeah, if, we, weird. if we, if we spiritualize this too much. Right. And so of course, Jesus is going to use his people. He's going to use his word. He's going to use circumstances. He's going to use trials like the coronavirus is a Mm. kind of trial for a lot of people. So Jesus is active by his spirit in all sorts of really tangible, concrete ways. And sometimes we really need those tangible, concrete things we can kind of sink our teeth into because this idea of the Jesus who's with me by his spirit just sounds too vague and nebulous. And and maybe we're even struggling with that. We feel distant from God. So, you know, it's like anything in the Christian life. It's a both and there's a lot of different dimensions that we kind of have to help each other hold on to um, at the same time. I mean, I feel like that takes the pressure off. Like you said, all we can do is point each other back to Jesus because we are his disciples. I'm not your teacher. He is our teacher. Yeah. I think that's super helpful. Yeah, I think it does take the pressure off. And I think that's a great point, Karen, because I think a lot of people, you'll hear this, like sometimes a church will say, well, we're starting a discipleship program. We want you to lead a group. And they're like, oh, I, I feel like I need to be discipled or, oh, I don't know that I'm ready to lead a group because I think the idea is somehow packaged in there that you can only disciple other people if you've kind of mastered it. Well, I mean, one, we never master it. But two, leading a discipleship group is really the other way to reframe it is to say, well, no, Jesus is leading this group. We just need someone to kind of say we're meeting at this time at this place. And then we're going to all try to, again, I think of Hebrews, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith. I mean, that's another great passage that suggests that Jesus is alive and well. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And our job is to fix our eyes upon him time and time again, or Paul in Colossians 3, right, sets your mind on things above. The only thing Paul says is above is he says where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. So to, to orient ourselves to the reality that Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our friend, is seated at the right hand of the Father, a position of rest, a position of all authority. And how do I set my mind? How do I not you know, seek the things that are above, not on the earth? So discipleship becomes all about that, you know, and it does take the pressure off. The pressure's on Jesus. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. It's like, I think of that with my kids. I mean, I'm trying to come alongside my, I have young kids and they're, they're growing in, in their faith, but I'm often talking to Jesus. I say, now, Jesus, you love these kids more than I do. And you, you are discipling them, Jesus. And, and I expect big things from you. You know, and I want to do my, <laughs> I want to do my part, but thank God that you're involved here and, and you're going to show up in ways I would never think of. And you're going to use people that I don't even know. Mm. And, and you know, what's coming down the road in ways uh, that I don't know. So yes, I have a responsibility. We don't want to shirk our responsibility as a parent or a friend or a a pastor or a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, But the pressure's off in that the ultimate responsibility has been taken over by, you know, Rabbi Jesus. He's, he says, you know, don't let anyone call you teacher. He says, I'm the teacher. So he's got that role and he's got it covered uh, pretty well. I've been thinking a lot about Paul lately, and I think that Paul really grasped this idea. Like at the end of Colossians 1, it makes me think of that, where he says, now I I labor, I strenuously work, you know, but I do so with the power of Jesus that is at work inside of me, you know? And so even in his effort, what he's doing is pointing to the effort of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. it's a similar deal in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, you know, be imitators of me. And you might look at that and be like, well, see, Paul said that we should have people follow us, you know, but he keeps going, you know, because I am imitating Christ. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I think, especially in his letter to the Corinthians, which is um, kind of a massive rebuke of that very young church. Mm-hmm. He's going, hey, in this season, you need somebody with skin and bones on, maybe more than you will later on Mm -hmm. as you grow and mature. Mm -hmm. And so I can be that person for you, so imitate me. But ultimately, what you're doing is imitating Christ, the ultimate teacher. So, I mean, you see this all over the scriptures where the biblical authors are uh, in the New Testament are pointing us to following the master, Mm -hmm. not some weird version of... Christianity that has someone else in the place of Jesus, or that has somebody else who gets in the way of somebody seeing or encountering Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The imitate me as I imitate Christ bit from Paul. I mean, the other thing that's interesting about that is, of course, Paul didn't serve Jesus when he was incarnate on mm-hmm. earth. So, so Paul had the same sort of access to the historical person of Jesus that we do. I yeah, mean, right. in fact, Paul was was a persecutor of the Christians, right? So Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If it was Matthew or Peter, you might think, oh yeah, Matthew, Peter, they actually walked around with Jesus for three years. So they got some exposure that we didn't get. But Paul didn't get any exposure. I mean, he got the Damascus Road experience, but yeah. other than that... He got the backhand. <laughs> yeah, <on> the <laughs> exactly. 
but other than that, he didn't, he didn't have any special exposure to the historical person of Jesus. All his relationship with Jesus was mediated by the Spirit in the same way that ours are. So, yep. so what he's imitating is the kind of life that Jesus himself led. I mean, that's the other thing about learning from Jesus, is that Jesus himself, fully God and fully human, Jesus himself lived life by the Spirit, right? It Acts was I think Acts ten thirty eight says Jesus went around anointed by the Holy Spirit, you know, doing good works, and and so Jesus himself lived a spirit led, spirit filled, spirit directed life. He walked in the Spirit. So when Jesus says, "Learn from me," or when Paul is imitating Jesus, yeah, it's, as you said, Nathan, it's that Paul is that physical, concrete example Mm -hmm. of what it looks like to live the same sort of life by the Spirit that Jesus lived. So so Paul was looking to Jesus and saying, teach me how to live this life by the Spirit. And then he's looking to the Corinthians and saying, well, if you want to look at me while I look at Jesus, you know, that might help you. But it's really all about this way of life by the Spirit that Jesus led, and now Paul is leading, and now we're invited to lead as well. So, so yes, we do learn from each other, but again, we're learning what it looks like to be discipled by Jesus through His Holy Spirit. That's really encouraging, because a lot of times we tend to put these men and women of the Bible on this pedestal of, oh, they had something so unique and so different. And yes, God did do unique things through them. But to remember, like Paul was just a man who (laughs) sought after the Lord, just like we are trying to seek after the Lord. And so we can take him off that pedestal and recognize like he also walked through trials. He also had bad days. He also did all of these things that we are experiencing maybe in this season more than others. And he was able to seek Jesus in a way that was powerful for his own life and for other people. And so it's just encouraging to remember, like, he's just a normal guy. Like, he's just Paul. Yeah. yeah. I'm also encouraged by Paul because on his second missionary journey, he's trying to go up further north into Asia. And Acts literally says, but the spirit of Jesus would not let him. <laughs> like literally is, and then the spirit also later is saying, "Hey, no, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and and that's okay. I'm going to be with you." And then he appears to him on his way to Rome and says, "Hey, you're going to go make your appeal before Caesar, and I'm going to be with you." You know, yeah. You see this witness of Jesus throughout his life yeah. that is guiding him, and Paul doesn't always yeah. understand it. I mean, probably rarely does he understand it mm. fully, but mm. but he has a sense of Jesus being with him, and so yeah. it's not just a conceptual thing for him that, oh yeah, I follow this ethic or this code or this morality. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, there is literally a a real live being, yeah. um, this God man who is leading me and I'm following him. And I don't always know where we're going, but right. I'm, I'm with him. The couple passages that come to mind in that regard are, uh, well, one, when, when Paul says to Timothy that when he was arrested and he said, and the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Yeah, and that, yeah, that cool. idea that, I mean, there's a, there's a real realism there, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't have to use, you know, that language of the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And that also gets at the transformational influence of the presence of Jesus. And the other, it's a strengthening uh, presence, right? It's not just the Lord stood by me and miraculous things happened. No, the Lord stood by him and, and he felt strengthened. It's interesting because that's what personal relationships do for us. Uh, the, the other passage that comes to mind is Philippians 3, where Paul says, 
he's learned the secret to be content in all circumstances. And you, you got to stop right there and just say, now tell me that secret. Because yeah, what? <laughs> contentment in all circumstances. I mean, Nathan, you got little kids at home. I mean, contentment mm-hmm. in all circumstances, right? I mean, to, to really find a, a way into not apathy, not, uh, you know, kind of stoicism or something, but a real kind of peaceful response, no matter what's going on. And Paul says, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, and then he says what his secret is, right? And we got to be careful with the secret because we're liable to put it on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or something. <laughs> but he, he says, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. And we got to remember Paul's in prison when he's writing this. So it's not, you know, with Jesus on my side, everything's going to go my way. No, he's saying, even when things aren't going my way, I'm still content because he's strengthening me. You know, Jesus is with me and he's strengthening me. And Paul's able to respond to his circumstances with contentment, no matter what's going on. Gosh, if I could be uh, just even a few times more content than I already am, it would change a lot of things. You know, when you're content, you're not impatient with people. You don't get as angry as easily. It's a lot more easy to be kind, to be uh, compassionate, to to serve, you know, others more. We're more willing to serve. And so contentment is a great state of being. And Paul says he's learned, again, learned it. And what he learned is that Jesus is with him in a way that can strengthen him. And that's, that's a real relational reality in Paul's life, a transformational, you know, reality that, that the personal presence of Jesus actually has this psychological effect on Paul Mm. where things don't go like Paul wants them to go. And yet Paul is still able to experience contentment. And that's, that's huge. If we could be a bit more content it changes all sorts of other areas of our life. It's a lot easier to be patient when we're content. It's a lot easier to uh, not get angry when we're content. I mean, we often get angry and frustrated and controlling and manipulative, and then we're tempted to lie out of discontent. So if you really start to think about how much discontentment is kind of the root of, of maybe not all evil, but a lot of evils. It's pretty amazing that that Paul says he's found this secret of being content in all circumstances. And again, that he learned it. He learned it from Jesus. He says, I've learned the secret. So that's that discipleship idea again. It's a learning life with Jesus. And that's, I think, comes out there. I love it. So what I'm hearing you say basically is, even in the time of coronavirus, Jesus's school of discipleship is on. <laughs> yeah. When we're awake, when we're asleep, when we're, you know, having fun with our family, when we're having conflict with our spouse, when our kids are being perfect and when they're totally trash in the house. Yeah. The witness of Jesus is always there. Yes. And and he's in it with you. And now there's a lot of implications for that that we're going to talk about. So stick with us as we continue this conversation. We're going to be back with Steve next week, but until then, I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, if you liked it, tell your friends, text them, call them, FaceTime them, Skype them, Zoom them. Shout we know you're doing all those and tops. <laughs> Leave us a rating on iTunes. That is helpful to us and hope y'all have a great week. Bye. Peace. Whoops.
Why did I? How did I do that? Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I somehow. Closed. I can't even see you. Like your camera yeah, is turned off. I can't see me. Oh, oh, really? You're. Oh, good. okay. And that, you know what? That solved my problem. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Fix this. You're that welcome. That solved my problem. <laughs> yeah, but now I have something else going on over here. All right, I'll I'll just I'll just live with my screen.